0: Bible says that we should minister to one another in songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our heart to the Lord. I just appreciate uh, hearing the voices sing, and maybe it's partly because we're all here together in one service, but you have ministered to me and uh, brought glory to the Lord as well. All right, we are in the book of James, so you can turn back to James chapter 1. I hope that you have uh, your Bible or your device here this morning called our series Tried and True. Last week, we uh, looked at the first number of verses and talked about how we are called to be servants, we are called to be seeds, and today we start in verse 13. And just before we read, I want to talk about this truth, this reality, that we live in a world of contrast. Now, sometimes contrast is a good thing. We see the beauty of the sunrise or the sunset against the darkness. But in our world today, we see this mixing, this blending of absolute beauty and wonder along with horrific and evil darkness. We saw it even this week week in the assassination of the former prime minister of Japan, And in a matter of seconds, we see the evil of a person being gunned down and the beauty of people rushing in, in spite of the danger, to his aid. It's interesting how our world tends to blame the darkness on God and attribute the light and the goodness to ourselves. Have you ever noticed that? God... Gets blamed for the darkness, and we take credit for the light. Some guy named Archibald says, "If God is God, He's not good. And if God is good, He's not God." And why do people say that? Because they say they look around and they see all the wickedness and brokenness in the world, and they say, "Ah, see, either God doesn't exist, or either God God isn't good." or he's not strong enough to do anything about all of these things. And then Oprah chimes in and says, you have to find what sparks a light in you so that you, in your own way, can illuminate the world. Now that sounds kind of nice, but you see the source here of the light is within us. It's in me. I have something to illuminate this dark place. I want us to see that this tension has been going on since the beginning of time. In fact, when Satan entered the Garden of Eden and deceived Eve, it was the same lie. He says, God knows that when you eat from it, that fruit, that tree that they weren't to eat from, God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. What's he saying? He's saying God is holding out on you. God is withholding something good from you. God in his, in his own character is evil. He's keeping something good from you. And in contrast, he says, you, once you eat the fruit, will be like God, knowing good and evil. You can be the source of the good. And this is the reality of the world that we live in. But let's hear what James says about this world of contrasts. Starting in verse 13, he says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Then notice what he says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. I got two main points for us this week, and here's the first one. That as human beings, we have to own the darkness. Now, I know this isn't a popular message today, this doesn't fit with all of our self-help and self-esteem talks that we give each other, but this is the reality of Scripture, that when it comes to the darkness and the brokenness of the world, the Bible says, don't be deceived, don't blame that on God, we have to, as human beings, own the darkness. And I mean that in two ways. We have to own the darkness in the world at large. Why did we end up with a broken, messed up world? It's not because God made it that way. In fact, God made a world that was perfect and good, and he placed humanity over it to be its caretakers. He blessed them. He provided for them. He gave them the opportunity to live as the caretakers of this world under his rule and blessing. And you've heard me say this many times, what happened? Humanity rejected God's rule and blessing. They said, as we saw, it wasn't good enough. They wanted more. And what happened? God allowed the caretakers of the world that He made to make a decision that affected the whole world that they were supposed to take care of. And their choice to rebel against God, to step out from under His rule and blessing, has completely affected. The world and even the universe and it's created the darkness and the brokenness that we all experience all around us. God didn't make the world like that. We chose a world like that. And of course we could say, oh well so it's Adam and Eve's fault. But all we have to do is ask ourselves the question, have I ever made a decision that rejected the rule and blessing of God in my life? that had ramifications beyond myself. It hurt me, but it also hurt others. And if we're honest, we all have to answer yes to that question. We have all made choices that were outside of the rule and blessing of God that had ramifications, negative ramifications on our own life, and they spilled out into the lives of others. In other words, we have all made the same choice that Adam and Eve made. And that's why we live in a world of darkness. We have to own the darkness. Don't blame God for this. This is our doing. And we have to own it. But then in these verses, James explains to us where sin and evil and death comes from. And it's interesting to me that he doesn't even say it's the devil's fault. Never says that here. Notice how he attributes the darkness that we experience in our lives and in our world. He says, Don't don't blame it on God. Don't don't say it's God who's tempting me, it's God's fault. He says, God can't be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person, he's so clear here, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by what? Their own there it is. It's their own evil desire. That's what drags us away out of a place of safety and righteousness towards uh, t- towards temptation and evil. It's something in ourselves. That's what he's saying here. This is where it comes from. It comes from within. And so he begins to paint this picture for us. Problem number one is that there's something wrong in our hearts. Our hearts have this evil desire, and this desire begins to entice us into actions that are against God. And so it begins in our hearts. Our hearts entice us into sinful actions. He describes it like a a woman conceiving and giving birth. These evil desires conceive, they give birth to sin. In other words, sinful activities. Now it's spilled out of our hearts into our attitudes, into our actions. And then sin, he says... When it is full grown, gives birth to death. you see what he's painting here for us? Don't be deceived. God is the author of good. God is the father of light. Evil does not come from God. Did he allow it? Yes, he did allow this to be the case. But it was our choice, our choosing, our sinful hearts that led to the darkness of our world. This is exactly what Jesus described when he taught about the reality of sin in our hearts and in our lives. Jesus said, It's what comes out of a person that defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. So we all have to reckon with this reality, not just that we live in a broken world, not just that we all bear responsibility for the darkness of our world, but that we, according to the Bible, have a problem of darkness within. We have sin and evil in our hearts. I'm not sure if we've sung this song very often. It's called uh, All I Have is Christ, but the first verse says, I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will and if you had not loved me first i would refuse you still that's what theologians call depravity that we are sinful beings we have fallen short of the glory of god and the wages of sin is death god says and if it wasn't for the grace and mercy of god reaching into the darkness for people like us we would have no hope And here's the first thing. This is really the first step to all spiritual progress is that we would own the darkness, the darkness in the world and the darkness in ourselves. Well, the good news is that's not the end of the sermon and it's not the end of the passage. My first point this morning is that we own the darkness. The second one is this, that we see the light. Do you see how these verses are connected? James painting a picture for where sin and brokenness comes from then he says, don't be deceived. Don't blame that on God. In fact, let me tell you about God. He says, every good, verse 17, and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Do you see how he takes us right back to creation, reminding us about a God who said, let there be light, and there was light. And have you ever noticed in the creation story that God created light on the first day, and he created the sun, moon, and stars on the, do you know? On the fourth day, God did not need to create a sun in order to make things light because God emanates with light from Himself. He is the source of all light. So, yes, He's the Father of lights. He's the one who created the sun, moon, and stars. It reminds us of His good creation, but it reminds us that He Himself is light. So, what does that mean? There are three ways in which we can think of God as being light. And I want us to exercise our minds a little bit here because this is so crucial and important. Many of us struggle in the Christian life because our view of God is far too low, far too shallow. And so here this morning is something that can help us understand God better and worship him better and literally be transformed. In fact, I would argue that the light of God is what transforms us and makes us more like Jesus. So who is God? He is the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. What does it mean that God is light? Well, here's the first thing. It means that God is perfection. If darkness is a a term that we use to think of evil or wickedness, then we can be rest assured of this, that in God there is no dark. As we see in our passage, no shadows, no no shifting shadows, nothing tainting God, nothing hindering his beauty from shining. And so the idea here to begin is God is light because he's perfect, he is pure, he is holy. I wonder if you've ever tried to imagine the blazing purity and perfection and holiness of God. If we think of that in terms of light, how bright is that light it is blinding john wrote that in that god is light and in him there is no darkness at all do we see god in this way do we hold him high in our hearts and understand that he's light because he's perfect this is one of the reasons why we can blame god for our sin and why we don't own the darkness and why we sugarcoat our struggles and our own brokenness is because we don't realize how holy God is. We can look at someone else and say, oh man, there's so much worse than I am. I don't feel that bad. I talked to someone this week, had the opportunity to have a conversation with someone about salvation. I said, so do you understand, do you see salvation as, uh, as something we earn or is it something that we're given? And the answer is, well yeah, I think it's something that we earn. But you can never believe that if you understand this truth of how holy and how pure God is. And I simply shared the story from my own life of being a pastor of a church that uh, appeared to be healthy and growing. And at the end of that time, finding myself completely burned out and realizing that all of my righteousness and the things that I thought God had accomplished through me so filled me with pride and self-reliance that I was so far from the holiness of God even in my ministry. God is light. He's perfection. Secondly, what does it mean that God is light? It means that he's glorious. Have we ever stopped to imagine if, if somehow we could just see God, if we could somehow see Jesus? And the scripture actually gives us a little glimpse of this because on a a hilltop, Jesus took three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and the Gospels tell us that he was transfigured before them. Kind of a weird word. It just simply means that for a few moments, he allowed them to see a visible expression of who he really is. So when Jesus came to earth, he came as God, but he took on a human form. And so he was born as a baby and he looked like us and he dressed like us and he, uh, he ate like us and he slept like us. But for a moment, he, got to, he let these guys see a glimpse of who he really was in his divine nature. And that was expressed to them in blinding light. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. Do you realize brothers and sisters, that one of our great hopes as believers is that we get to see this. Not just James and Peter and John, but we get to see this. In fact, I believe that when we get to heaven and when we have our glorified bodies, God is going to give us eyes that, that have some greater ability to take in the beautiful glory of Christ. And maybe even still, it'll be blinding. Maybe even still, we'll have 3D glasses or sunglasses, and I don't know. But we're going to see this. And this is our God. That's why scripture says no one can see God. You can't see God and live. Because his glory, his perfection is so blinding that a human being cannot stand in the presence of God. But here's the truth God is light, it means that he's glorious, he shines. The heavens, of course, declare the glory of God. They are a visible expression. And anywhere we see beauty in God's creation, they're just a little glimpse, a little expression of, uh, of who God is. But a day is coming when we will all stand. Yeah, all. We will all stand before our maker. We will see this glory. And we will either, uh, as his redeemed children enter into his presence and live in that glorious presence for eternity or we will be banished from his presence because we chose to reject him in this life God is light he's perfection he's glory and then I love this one he is salvation What Jesus could say I, I'm the light of the world Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. That God in his own nature is a searchlight looking for lost sheep. He is a lighthouse on the rocky shoal mourning about the darkness and about the danger. God is light. He is searching for lost souls. He's pointing the way to us. He's inviting us into the light of his own presence. Don't you see that in these verses? Don't be deceived. God's not the author of evil. God's not the one tempting you. He's he's the father of heavenly lights. And then verse 18, look, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Are we amazed? Do we, do we take time to sit and meditate on the, the wonder of God's character that he's light, he's perfection, he's light, he's glory, he's light. He is salvation. The Lord is our salvation. He is our only hope that in spite of all of our evil and all of our darkness and all of our rebelling and choosing to reject his blessing and rule, God comes after us with the light of the gospel and he chases us and I'm just shocked by those first words of verse 18. He chose. Can you believe that? Nobody knows your sin better than you do. Can you believe? If You're a child of God here this morning. That he chose? He chose to give you life. That was his good, good choice. It's like Ephesians tells us that God's grace has been expressed to us in in all wisdom and prudence, it says in Ephesians. What? How could there be any wisdom behind God showing grace to me in all of my sin and brokenness? This is God. This is why he is light. This is why he's glorious. This is why he's salvation, because he has chosen to give us life, to give us birth. This is the gospel, isn't it? It's God offering life to those who were dead. Dead in our trespasses and sins. Members of the kingdom of darkness, but transferred into the kingdom of light through Jesus Christ, through the gospel. And through the death and resurrection of Christ, through our repentance and faith in Christ, we can be born again. And notice here the imagery is of creation. We've just seen that God is the father of heavenly lights. Our minds race back to Genesis 1 and 2, and we see God there as creator, and now we see him again as creator, but now it's new creation. He chose to give us birth to bring us back to life through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. The story of redemption is that God is going to rescue all that's broken in this world And everyone who would submit to him and repent of sin and trust in Christ for salvation will find redemption in him, and it starts with us. It starts with God redeeming people, but ultimately it ends with God redeeming everything. Romans 8 says that the whole creation groans, waiting for the adoption of God's sons. It starts with us. When Jesus comes back to Earth, we're all going to rush into His presence. We're going to be transformed, and then Jesus is going to transform the whole world. And the whole, all the brokenness and darkness of this world is going to be recreated, new creation. It's one of the, one of our favorite verses for many of us. Second Corinthians five seventeen. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. It's exactly what it means, new creation. This is the work. That God is doing. Maybe you're here today and you feel the reality of the darkness in your own heart. Maybe you're like the person I talked to today and you've thought all along that if there's any hope for you, if there's any hope of overcoming this darkness or finding forgiveness with God, it's really on you. It's something that you have to earn. It's something that you have to achieve and you've got to clean yourself up and eradicate all the darkness from your heart and prove to God that you're a good person but If you're honest, number one, honest about how holy and pure God is, number two, honest about the reality of how broken you are, you'll realize that is impossible. And so the good news of the Bible is that God loved us and sent his son into the world, this glorious son of God, took on human form, lived among us here in this world, and ultimately went to a cross where God attributed that death our death, our sin, our brokenness placed upon Jesus and as he died it's like he was dying in our place and taking our penalty so that him having come alive and been resurrected from his grave the same could happen to all of us who would trust in Christ for salvation and so that's where we land this morning as we finish and as we celebrate communion. We come to marvel again. At the goodness of God. And if we're honest we look at a cross and we think how could there be any beauty in this? How could we, how could we ever be attracted to this? One of the most cruelest forms of, of a death penalty ever invented by humanity. Roman crucifixion. And on that cross, if we think about what happened there, we see Jesus who was perfect, he was light, he was beautiful in every aspect of his character and yet there he was, pronounced guilty by humanity and even forsaken by God as all of our sin and darkness was placed upon him. The gospel says that through Christ, our blackness, our darkness is placed upon him and having believed his Light, His righteousness is placed upon us. That is our only hope. And I want to remind us that as we, as the people of God, you're a follower of Jesus, and you're like me, you still struggle with sin in your life and darkness and brokenness. I want to remind you that the way forward, the way of healing, the way of transformation, is by doing what we're about to do right now and what we've done this morning, and that is that we would allow our minds to be fixed on Jesus and marvel at his great beauty and his tremendous holiness, his purity, his light. And to see that in the cross, God, the Gospel of John, Jesus described the cross as glory. He said, said Father, glorify me in this. we see the great glory of God because in the cross the holiness of God and the mercy of God come together and we find forgiveness so let's remember through the bread and through the juice all that God has done for us please go ahead and take these emblems I'm just going to give thanks and uh, we're going to sing as we share these emblems together. God, we do thank you for the opportunity to remember Jesus. We find in him alone our only hope, and we find in him so much that transforms us and makes us more like you. I pray that we would meditate deeply, not just now, not just this morning, but day by day on the beauty and wonder of God. Thank you that sin has been atoned for. Thank you that salvation has been provided through his death and resurrection. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's amazing how singing these songs recalibrates our hearts and causes us to look at the glory of Jesus, which is what transforms us. So I'm curious, is there anyone here today that feels and recognizes that darkness in your heart? and? I hope maybe today you've recognized that Jesus is the one who can rescue you. And the rest of us, perhaps, we still wrestle with that darkness day by day. And this is the answer that we would keep our eyes transfixed on Jesus' face. That's what we're going to do in eternity. We can start now and be transformed as we focus and think about how beautiful Jesus is. So let's pray. God, we thank you for what we've heard today. Thank you for what we've sung Thank you that we can be your people. Thank you that you have rescued us from darkness. Lord, if there's anyone here who's never taken that step of faith to repent of sin and trust in Christ, I pray that today would be the day. And Lord, for those of us who have, we struggle in this broken, dark world, and we get discouraged, and we trip and fall, and we sin again and again. Lord, I pray that you'd give us a deep longing and desire for transformation. That we would realize we don't We don't transform ourselves. It's you that change us, but you do that, Lord, as we gaze upon your beauty, as we look at the light and meditate on you. And so I pray that today has been an opportunity for us to get our minds turned back to Jesus and to the gospel. And I pray that we take these thoughts, these meditations with us through this week, and I pray that you'd make us more like Jesus. Lord, we do this because somehow you've given us the privilege to shine just a little bit of your light. We're like the moon, Lord. We don't have any light of our own, but we get to reflect your glory to others. So may that be true this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated.